Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, June 3rd, 2018 by student assistant Isaac Hayes on the basis of Mark 8, 27 through 35. Who am I? Someone? No one? The new guy? A mother, father, grandmother, brother, sister, friend, father? I mean, the list continues. Such a simple question, right? but one of great magnitude, one begging for answers. Who am I? Many of you may say, I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Awesome. Praise God. But the world would think you foolish for saying such a thing. Jesus is foolish. Well, then so am I. Look at what Jesus did. Embrace what Jesus did. During his last year, about 120 miles out from Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples traveled to the surrounding villages of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus and his disciples are away from the crowds. And usually when this happens, teaching moments with Jesus happen. So he had something huge to say. So in the midst of the scattered chatter among the disciples and sandals kicking up dust with their strides, Jesus interrupts all of that, asking, Who do people say I am? The disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Quote, hold up. Those are some big names there. The people surely knew who Jesus really was, right? Nope. Although very much flattering for Jesus, It was very much faltering, dead wrong as far as faith and salvation were concerned. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. This question simply engaged engaged them into a line of thought about him. So he asked them, But what about you? Who do you say I am? Puzzled looks, uh, walking a bit slower, glancing at one another, brows raised, forehead scrunching curiosity. Then Peter speaks what everyone else is thinking. Uh, You're the Messiah. What's up with Jesus' question? The disciples had been with Jesus for just about two years or so. They've seen, they've heard, and they've learned from Jesus, the Messiah face to face. Is Jesus asking a silly question here? They know who he is, right? Mark in this book, in this section, had built up to this point, to this question, to Jesus' question. But what about you? Who do you say I am? This is the culmination of a growing awareness, a growing conviction for the disciples of who Jesus is. Jesus is penetrating their hearts, getting them to understand who he was. And this question is critically important because it is the basis of Christianity and the basis of the disciples and all believers' faith. So, when Peter said, you're the Messiah, that's no small confession. Any Jew would have known what that meant, or at least what they thought it meant. The Messiah was the promised one from God, and any misuse of it was worthy of blasphemy and punishment. However, what follows Peter's answer will bring to light that not everyone yet had a full grasp of who Jesus was, who the Messiah was to be. Jesus was no earthly 
Messiah. So after Peter's confession, Jesus tells them and warns them not to tell anyone. His time had not yet come to be going about telling everyone he's the Messiah. He didn't need riots, ruckuses, or other issues influencing the timing of his ministry, his cross, and the revelation of who he was. But after some time, Jesus began to teach them, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and must be killed and rise again after three days. Hold on a sec. Must? Uh, must suffer? Must be rejected? Must be killed? Must rise again? Just imagine yourselves in the sandals of the disciples. Jesus had just asked you, Who do you say I am? And Peter, of course, says, You're the Messiah. But now, our Messiah, the Messiah, says stuff like this? Suffering? Being killed? Feel the adrenaline rushing through your bodies and your mind lighting up with wonderment and concern. You just heard an awful thing. But Jesus actually said something eternally wonderful. But you neglect that and you remain dismayed. So you, being in the sandals of the disciples, hear Jesus say all this about himself, and your jaw open, your heart racing, you just stand there. That doesn't sound like the Messiah you were thinking. He's supposed to be the one to restore Israel. He's supposed to be our Messiah, our Messiah King on this earth forever. But your thoughts are interrupted as Peter walks by you, rubbing shoulders, making eye contact, having the same concerned thoughts about Jesus. Do you feel the tenseness? The tenseness that overcame them? And then what does Peter do? Peter takes Jesus aside. Just imagine. Hand on shoulder, up close and personal, and Peter takes Jesus aside from everyone. And then Peter begins to rebuke him. Rebuked him. Rebuked Jesus. Rebuked the Messiah. Lord, you don't need to do this. You cannot. You must not. Lord, don't do this. Now imagine a brief moment of silence as Jesus turns, looks at his disciples, who are all more than likely thinking like Peter, then looks back at Peter and then says, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter's shaken. Eyes wide open, startled jump out of fear as Jesus firmly moves him to the side. And then the other disciples are all standing there, dead frozen, pale, thinking, Oh, and oh indeed. This was harsh, but this was serious. And Jesus needed them all to understand how serious. So why be so harsh here? Wasn't Peter just looking out for him? It was harsh, but it was necessary and appropriate. This was hell speaking here, and Jesus was not having any of it at all. Peter couldn't handle Jesus going through all that he had just said, suffer, 
be rejected, be killed, and rise again after three days. Which, honestly, Peter probably tuned out such a comfort, focusing on the other statements and focusing on his idea of who the Messiah was to be. Peter held to the concerns of men rather than the concerns of God. And he held to outward and earthly things, temporary and fleeting. Peter, the other disciples, and those following and believing Jesus still did not fully grasp who Jesus the Messiah was. Peter struggled. An earthly Messiah king is what he and the others were wanting and expecting. But Jesus quickly fires that down with his rebuke and shows where he wants Peter to be. Peter, he stood as a detrimental stumbling block to Jesus. He stood as a stumbling block to who Jesus was and what Jesus must do. Peter held to the concerns of men rather than the concerns of God, which are his peace, his love, faith, his promises, forgiveness, salvation, God's will and saving work for sinners. This is where Jesus wanted Peter to be. But Peter clung to the concerns of men, and he faltered. He rejected Christ and the cross he was to bear. Peter essentially spoke to Jesus Satan's words. Did God really say you have to do all this? Uh, there's no need, Jesus. Really, Jesus? Really, Peter? Really, Peter? No need? You do need me. I had just told and taught you plainly about the necessity of my saving work, my saving work as Messiah. It was not necessary because of sin or the demand for perfection and sacrifice. No. It was necessary for me, Messiah, to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and rise again from the dead because of my Father's love and grace for you. His grace and love demanded it. My Father in Heaven didn't have to save you sinners. He could have just left you alone, abandoned you to nothing but hell and eternal condemnation. But no, 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 no. He didn't. Because He loves you beyond measure. Now what about you? Are you like Peter? Am I like Peter? By all means, we all are. We all cling to the concerns of men. We cling to our busy lives. We cling to money, materials for living, the toys, the school, technology, work, success, relationships, the list goes on. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things necessarily, but when we cling to them solely, things that will fade and pass away, and see God as our Santa Claus doing all these things, earthly things for us? We're in danger of making Christ nothing and rejecting his cross completely. We want him to make this life easier and smooth sailing, just as Peter thought with an earthly Messiah, failing to recognize the eternal needs Jesus had come to answer. And in this, we're settling into a faith too comfortable and falling into spiritual slumber, depreciating the cross. 
How often do we stop appreciating the indescribable beauty of the cross? I mean, we look at it and say, hmm, okay, okay. Rather than, thank God Almighty, look at what Jesus did, what he did for me. Clinging to the things of men, slipping into spiritual slumber, depreciating the cross, and you lead yourself to reject Christ's cross and confess, I'm good, Jesus. I'm good. I'm good. That's hell speaking right there. You essentially speak Satan's words, did God really say, "Mm, I need you? I'm doing all right. I'm good, Jesus. I mean, I don't need you. Thanks for the jump start, though. Wake up. Wake up. This is a road that leads to nowhere but darkness and forgetting what Jesus did for you. But you want to know the truth of the matter? You do need him. You do need him. His grace made our salvation necessary. And Peter, all believers, and the world needed Jesus to come. He needed to come and carry out his work for our salvation. And the most wonderful thing, he made it necessary himself. Jesus is serious about our salvation. The cross was coming and came whether it was wanted or not. His grace and love was not about to be slowed or obstructed. His grace made our salvation necessary. He didn't have to do all this for us, but his grace said otherwise. His grace was not about to be extinguished by any of Satan's efforts or Peter's rebuke. No, his grace demanded that he come to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and rise for our salvation. Look at what Jesus did. Praise God for such grace. And when you hold to the concerns of God, you recognize all of this. His peace, the love, the forgiveness, his promises, faith, salvation, God's will and saving work for sinners. This is where he wants us to be. These are the concerns of God. When we cling to them daily and with our whole being, then look at Christ. We see nothing but beauty, glory, and eternal salvation. At what Jesus did for us, because of what Jesus has done, we can be unafraid and unashamed of our Savior, our Messiah. Jesus is foolish? Well, then so am I. Look at what Jesus did. And this can be difficult. It can be difficult, and Jesus knows this, but how thankful we can be at what Jesus did, embracing his cross, embracing the foolishness. However, he also tells us another thing in Mark, that we too can embrace our cross and foolishness. Jesus is foolish? Well, then so am I. Embrace what Jesus did. So after Jesus' harsh rebuke to Peter, he calls the crowd together. And it's possible that this crowd was a crowd of believers judging from what he was about to say. But nonetheless, this was an important message for everyone, including us. So, jump back into those sandals again and join the crowd. So as Jesus calls the crowd together, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoa, Jesus, seriously? That's what I got to do to follow you? Deny myself? Take up my cross, that gruesome, bloody thing, and follow you completely? Uh, That's tough. That's serious. Yes. He 
Yes, it is. But this is no laughing matter. This is serious because God's grace and love are serious. <laughs> Your sinful flesh wants nothing to do with any of that. But <laughs> Jesus lays out for us what's involved when we follow him. Deny ourselves. Take up our cross. And completely follow him. This means saying no to the things of men, the concerns, and denying our sinful nature, daily putting it to death. This means being ready to suffer hardships and persecutions. Are you ready for all of that? This means completely dedicating and trusting your life to him. And these are all incredibly tough things to handle and go through. Jesus knows this, so he then speaks a warning to us. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Here, Jesus gives us a stern warning with eternal implications. If you continue clinging to the concerns of men and not carrying out what is involved with following Christ, you reject your cross and life in Christ. And the life that clings to the concerns of God that leads to peace, forgiveness, and heaven, you lose all of that. Watch out. Watch out that you do not reject your cross for in that you also would reject Christ. And the danger of rejecting Christ leads down a road where doom and hell awaits you. Your sinful flesh wants nothing to do with a life that follows Jesus. Deny myself, take up my cross, dedicate my life completely to Jesus. Foolishness. But Jesus quickly follows with a promise and a comfort. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever loses their life, a life that clings to the concerns of men for Jesus' sake and for his gospel, will most certainly keep and save their life that clings to the concerns of God, leading to eternal salvation. What a comfort! But the question may poke at you. Uh, how do I do this? How do I embrace what Jesus did and follow him? It's certainly not by your works. That only leads to despair and disappointment. Rather, it means holding on to Christ and what he has already given. What a comfort. Holding on to a life already entrusted to us. All because of him. Believe and hold on to Christ and the concerns of God. His peace, his love, his forgiveness, his promises, your faith, salvation, God's saving work for sinners. The list goes on forever. Christ lives in us. Your life is his life. His love, his grace, and power enable you to believe, take up your cross, and follow him unafraid and unashamed. We can pray to him saying, Lord, prepare me to joyfully embrace my cross, embrace the foolishness of it, always remembering what you did for me. The glorious things of Christ and his cross are ours and our new lives in him. Since Christ has fulfilled all righteousness and redeemed us, we can live before God without fear, with favor before God, and embrace our crosses of, in Christ all because of what he did for us. How amazing. By looking at what Jesus did for us, we can embrace our cross fearlessly, unashamedly, and follow him 
until our heavenly glory. Is it foolish? Yes, by all means, it's foolish. But if Jesus is foolish, well, then so am I. Embrace what Jesus did. So, who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Who is Jesus? Simple questions, but profound truths. Jesus is our Messiah, our Messiah King, who bore his cross in victory for our salvation. We are God's redeemed children who bear our crosses and embrace our crosses because of all Jesus did for us, because of God's grace and love that made our salvation necessary. What we have in Christ is far greater than what we may lose by following him. By all means, the devil, the world, my own sinful nature can call Jesus foolish and can call us foolish all they want. Jesus is foolish? Well, then so are we. Look at what Jesus did. Embrace what Jesus did. We see and we embrace nothing but glory and eternal salvation. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.